I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, today we're going to be talking about mission. And this series that we're starting today is the next three weeks. Uh, we're going to be talking about different dimensions of the mission statement of King's Cross Church, which I had to Google this week just to make sure I got it right. But it, as Obed said, it's depending on God to make and mature disciples or learners of Jesus the King. And so we're going to hear different aspects of that and what that looks like for us as followers of Jesus. What does that mean for us? And today specifically looking at the concept of mission or being on mission in this world. And so hopefully today we'll be working to break down any misunderstandings about that term, because there are many misunderstandings about that term, and expose all of us to the joy of a life lived following Jesus. So before we get into it, though, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning recognizing our need for you, Lord. Lord, uh, I can type up a bunch of notes and read words from your Bible, Lord, but we need you, Father, to move in our hearts. God, so I pray that this morning, uh, Father, that our stance and our posture would be learners before you, God, that we would learn what you have to teach us, that they would be your words this morning, Father. God, that as I speak, it would be you, Lord, and you would captivate our hearts with how good and kind and merciful and loving you are. So, Lord, we give you this time, and we ask that you would anoint it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are going to be looking at uh, a passage in John. So if you want to turn there right now, it's going to be John 20. But we're also going to be looking at several other passages as we go through. When we decide to become followers of Jesus, we are starting on a journey to becoming more and more like him. Jesus set the example for what it looks like for us to live here on earth. So when we read passages about Jesus, we're reading the example that he wants us to follow in. The Bible tells us that becoming a disciple of Jesus is learning to walk in the same manner as he walked. And Paul, who wrote the book that we just studied, Colossians, he said, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Right? Our lives are made to, we're made to imitate Jesus, to follow after him, to walk in the same manner. And I love that language of walk because I, I understand that. Now, I don't really remember learning how to walk. I don't think anyone remembers that. But now having two kids. We have two kids, my wife and I. Uh, Piper, who's four. Crosby, who's two. The most precious and beautiful kids you've ever seen in your life. But I remember them, you know, learning to walk. And I have countless videos on my phone of the moments that I thought were going to be the first steps. You know, and then like, okay, that's, you know. And you're like, I'm recording for like five minutes, waiting and waiting. And okay, that's not it. But I remember that process of them, you know, they're learning, they first learn how to stand up and they're kind of teetering on their legs. And then, you know, they'll kind of shuffle holding on to something, you know, and, you know, life throws you curveballs because once the kids learn how to walk and then you encounter stairs for the first time, like, whoa, it changes. You got to step down, you got to step up. And, you know, you get stairs down, the kids are learning how to do stairs by themselves, you know, a couple face first falls, it's fine though, they're kind of rubbery, they bounce right back. 
And then, you know, okay, you got stairs down, and then, you know, then there's moving stairs, escalators, which is a whole new ballgame for a kid if you've ever been with a kid on an escalator. Just last week, we were at UTC. My son Crosby, the two-year-old, we're getting on the, on the escalator, and he pulls one of those elf things where his foot's just going up, and the other one's staying, and I'm, and I'm like, you know, trying to walk down and help him up. And I think that's so much like our Christian walk. You know, we're learning how to do those things. We're like, first and we're learning how to stand up. And we're learning what it means to, okay, be a follower of Jesus. And we're taking these baby steps and we're growing. And, you know, and then we encounter stairs and then we encounter escalators or what, what have you. But I get that. Like, we're growing in that. But Christ gave us this pattern of life to follow. And as we look at aspects of what it means to be a maturing disciple in these weeks, we are essentially looking deeper into the life of Jesus, right? If we want to know what it means to grow or be a mature disciple of Jesus, then we need to look deeper into the life of Jesus. How does Christ show us community? How does Jesus live out the gospel? How does Christ show us what it means to live on mission, right? What we're going to be talking about today. How does Christ show us how to live with intention and purpose in our lives? So, uh, hopefully you're there in John 20. We're going to be looking at uh, a specific verse in John 20, but to get some context, uh, we're going to be reading 19, verse 19 through uh, 23, and I'll read it out loud here. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So this passage, right, to get a better understanding of this passage, we kind of need to know a little bit of the context that we're reading it within. The larger scope of that chapter in this book. In this setting here, this is right after the death of Jesus. Right? Jesus, just a few days ago, was hung on the cross and died there. He was buried in a tomb. And a few days later, he rose. This is right after that moment. He rose and he appeared to just a few people so far. Right? This, just a few people. He met with Mary and a couple other disciples. But most of his disciples who had been with him the last three years hadn't seen him. They're scared because... The Jewish leaders were blaming them for stealing Jesus' body out of the tomb. So they were afraid that they were going to be imprisoned. They were hearing these rumors that people had seen Jesus. Mary had said, yes, I saw Jesus. He raised from the dead. But they hadn't seen him yet. So there they are. They lock themselves in a room, right? They lock themselves in. They're scared. They don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, boom, Jesus like, shows up right in their midst, shows up, and they first think he's a ghost. They're scared out of their minds. That's why Jesus says, peace be with you. He says it twice, peace be with you, because they're freaking out, because somebody just appeared to them in the middle of this locked room. And they ask, like, let me see your hands. I want to know that you're real, that you're not some weird ghost or anything like that. So Jesus shows them his hands where he was pierced, 
his side where he was stabbed in the side. And they're like, okay, it is Jesus. And in a parallel account, I love it. Right after they're like, okay, hey, Jesus. Jesus asks, do you guys have anything to eat? I love that. I mean, we all have that friend who like shows up just out of nowhere and goes right to the front. You guys got anything to eat? I have that friend. But like that was Jesus right there. He shows up. He's like, it's me. Do you guys have anything to eat? And then he leaves us with the words that we just read. Um, Let's read out loud together. Verse 21, it should be up on the screen here. So we're going to read it out loud together. Ready? Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That is the main passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. So the question is, what is mission, right? We're talking about it, and we're going to get to that passage more, and that's going to be kind of, you know, throughout our talk. But as an aspect of a mature disciple, to be on mission, what does that even mean? The root of that word is, means sent or ascending. And if you want to, you know, impress your Christian friends or be weird with your non-Christian friends, the Latin there is missio or missio dei that we're talking about. And that's where we get our term missionary. I'm sure you guys have heard of the term missionary, which means sent one. This morning, we're not really going to be talking about missionaries or missions as into a foreign place. That conversation really is in regard to those who are being sent by a church to a new geographic location to preach the word, to make disciples, start a church. But today, when we're talking about mission, the mission of God, we're talking about what does that mean for us as Christians in the everyday sense? Right? What does that mean for us when we're talking about being on mission? You guys have, I'm sure, heard that term before. And the first thing that we need to remember is that when we're talking about mission, we're talking about God's mission. Because all mission is God's mission. He existed before creation. He created the world and brought humans into that world to be in relationship with him. And because we broke that system with our sin, God has been on the move ever since to reconcile us, to reconcile humanity back to himself, right? That's the meta-narrative of our world. God created the world, we came, God created us, we broke that system, and God is on the move to reconcile us back to himself. That is where we're living. That's the time that we're living in now. God is sending, right, mission. God is sending himself into the world to reconcile us, me, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. So mission is the movement of God into the world. More precisely, it's the movement of God's love, because God is love. Movement of God's love towards people. God is reconciling people to himself. And that's good news for everyone. If you're in here today and don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that means God is pursuing you with his love. That means God is after you to reconcile you, redeem, and save you. And if you're in here and already a follower of Jesus, then guess what? God's chosen instrument for his mission is his church, his people. God is using his people for his purpose in the world. 
And that's good news for us because that means that the King of Kings wants us as followers of Jesus to be royal ambassadors with all its privileges and honors for him here on earth. As followers of Jesus, we are sent ones. We are sent in the pattern of the Father's sending of the Son, just like we read in that passage. That as the Father sent the Son, so he sends us. Jesus was sent to reveal what God's kingdom looks like. He did that through what he said and what he did. We get to join him in that same sentness. Not a word, but in that same idea of being sent, that sentness. We join him in that. Revealing what God's kingdom looks like here on earth through what we say and what we do. How we act and how we speak. And through that, here, we are here to reveal to others who their creator is and God's love for this world. Participating in God's mission is not an activity of the church or a program of the church, but it's part of our character as God's people. So why do we fail to live like that so often? Because often to me, you know, live, telling others about Jesus usually to me looks like, hey, uh, yeah, if you want to come to church sometime, that's cool. Like, but you don't have to, you know, if you're busy or whatever. And that's it. And then I close up. You know, often that's what it looks like to me. And how many times have somebody in my life came to me and been sharing maybe a hardship or a loss in their life and I have not offered to pray for them? Here I am, you know, somebody who knows the power of prayer, knows that God listens to prayer, knows that God is powerful to change circumstance, and yet I don't even offer to pray for somebody. Just this weekend, I was... um, I was nearby a, a memorial, and a, the, there was a 22-year-old kid who committed suicide. And there's things like that all over the place. Loss like that in your workplace. And yet here, we know a God who comforts those in mourning. And how often do I fail to offer those words of comfort or encouragement or offer to pray for people? On Sundays, I say, yes, prayer is powerful, but on Mondays, I, yeah, I, d- I just say, yeah, that's tough, man. I'm sorry, and that's it. You know, we need to recognize that our character as God's people is to live out the kingdom of God to a broken and dying world because God came after me. He saved me from myself. He gave me a new life, and yet I get all weird and awkward and scared when it comes to telling others about him. So why are we so timid or fearful? Why do we shy away from those perfect opportunities when it comes to talk about Jesus at work, or especially with our families? That's like the hardest one. What keeps us back? And I believe most of our hesitancy is due to three excuses that we give ourselves. And we get self-conscious and use these three excuses. There's probably more, but these are the ones that I know, and I know them because I've used them. One is the professional excuse, right? And this excuse goes, I don't know the Bible enough. Or we like to convince ourselves as Christians that to tell 
others about Jesus is the responsibility of the professional Christians, the pastors, the worship leaders, maybe, you know, a missionary, but that's not the responsibility of me. And the response to this excuse is that's just not true. You don't need to have a seminary degree. You don't need to have the word pastor in front of your, in your job title. You just need to have a real relationship with Jesus. It's not what you know, it's who you know. It's so true in this instance. You know, I, how many of you guys have, uh, how many love Disneyland? Been to Disneyland, love Disneyland. Does anyone here not like Disneyland? Wow, okay. I respectfully disagree, and we can talk about that later. But, you know, if you've been to Disneyland, your first time to Disneyland, you're quick to tell your friends about it the next day, especially if you go like in middle school or high school. You get back, you know, you're the next day and you're like, oh my gosh, Disneyland was so fun. We did this, we did this. And you're like overflowing with it and you've just been once. But this myth would say that in order to tell somebody about Disneyland, you actually have to be like an employee of Disneyland or, you know, have gone a hundred times or more. Yeah, you, okay, you manage the Thunder Mountain ride. Yeah, you can tell other people about Disneyland. Oh, you work concessions? I don't know, maybe. But if you've only been, you can't tell anybody about Disneyland. But that's what this myth would say. is like, oh, you, you've only been a Christian a year or six months or a month. You can't tell people about Jesus. You need to kind of have gone to seminary. You need to, like, have read the whole Bible 20 times through or something like that. That's just not true, right? You can go to Disneyland once and express to others the joy of Disneyland. You can't tell them everything, like where to find the best corn dog, which is in Disney's California, by the way. But you can tell them about it. And that's what we need to realize. Or it's like a new relationship, you know. You get in a new relationship, and you don't tell anyone about it. And you say, well, I'm going to really, you know, see this thing out for a few years, really get to know them before I tell my mom and my friends. It's like, no, you don't need to tell them everything about the person, When Jesus was giving his followers his final words before he ascended into heaven, he uh, gave us a passage which has become known as the Great Commission, right? It's his final instructions to his disciples. So I got it up here on the screen. We're going to read this out loud again together. This is Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. When we read that, we often get hung up on the teaching them all that I have commanded, right? We kind of glaze over that and see all that I have commanded. The emphasis of that phrase is actually on teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded. Jesus isn't saying to his disciples and to us that when you tell other people about me, you need to tell them everything. Jesus isn't saying that. He says, no, you just need to teach them to obey, right? It's the emphasis is on the obedience. And we're going through this with our kids. As a parent, I, I see this. You know, we're teaching our kids how to obey. We're not teaching them every little thing that they're ever going to need to know in their life right now. That would just be overwhelming for us. But we're teaching them to listen and obey and understand. And that's what Jesus wants us to show other people. That's Jesus' words to his disciples. You don't need to be a Bible scholar, right? You just need to have a real relationship with Jesus. Then we're 
that flows out of us and we can share with others. And if I understand this concept as a dumb parent, why do we sometimes treat following Jesus and showing Jesus to others this way? Oh, you want to know about Jesus? Well, you should really talk to my pastor. Obed will talk to you. I'll give him your number. You're like, no, like, you don't have to share everything. But if Jesus is real in your life, then share what's real. We need to show people Jesus and help them along their journey in following him. And you know what? This should spur us on to know God more. I mean, let's read our Bible. Let's understand. And if somebody asks us a question we don't know, that's totally fine. Let's say, hey, let's find out together. Let's read God's word together and discover that. The the next myth is kind of the good Christian myth. These are titles I came up with. They're not real or anything like that. But this is the excuse in the Christian who says, I'm not good enough. Or I'm not that polished, good Christian boy or girl that I need to be to share Jesus with others. Therefore, I'm not going to try. I don't want to pretend. And I have two responses to that. One is, yeah, we aren't all the good Christian, polished Christian that we're, you know, sometimes claiming to be. We're not perfect, and we shouldn't pretend. God is not expecting perfection from us. He knows us too well. He knows that we're going to mess up. He knows that we are incapable, but he wants humility. He wants honesty. And you know what? Other people do too. You know, if we're sharing Jesus with somebody, telling them about, you know, a hard time that we had, like, it's okay to be like, yeah, it was really hard. And, you know, there were times when I was really struggling with the promise Jesus had here. But, like, that authenticity is more powerful than pretending like, oh, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, I go to church and I read. The authenticity of someone who knows they're a sinner and is real about it, is more powerful than the arrogance of someone who puts on that good Christian exterior. People respond to authenticity, not pride. The whole reason we became followers of Jesus, the whole reason I became a follower of Jesus, is because I recognized I wasn't perfect and I was broken, that I needed God. Because God saves messed up people like me. I used to help out with a church youth group uh, when I was in my 20s which, for the record, was not that long ago. Um, but high schoolers can spot a fake a mile away. They know, like, when you're being real and when you're not being real. They know uh, when you're trying to be cool and when you're just trying and, or if you are cool, which is scary, uh, you know, when my, parent, when my kids are teenagers. Like, you can't try to be cool with high schoolers. They see through that. You either are or you're not, which is, you know, sadly... You are, you're not. But the worst thing is, you know, being, pretending to be something and, you know, being that hypocrite. Like the world sees Christians and often calls them out for being hypocrites. You say, you know, you guys are good and all this stuff, but I don't see that in your life. Well, yeah, we're still messed up people that God is in the process. We're journeying. Remember, we're still learning how to walk. Let's be authentic about that learning how to walk with others. My other response to that is that, okay, so you say you're not perfect, you got issues. So my question to you then is, what trajectory are you on? We often can use this kind of talk about ourselves to hold God back at arm's length. We say, yeah, I'll come to church, but just so you know, I'm not that perfect Christian, right? I cuss, I like happy hour, I don't read Christian books or whatever people would say. 
And they say that like it's some sort of armor against involvement or accountability or even maturity. Like they're going to hold God at arm's length because that's where they're comfortable holding God and saying, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I don't, you know, I'm cool being where I'm at. And if you're a follower of Christ, I don't care where you're at. I care about where you're heading, the trajectory that you're on. Because if you're going to continue to hold God back at arm's length, then that's not on the trajectory of learning to journey with God or walk with him. That's holding him back. But if you're saying, yeah, I'm still messed up. I have all these issues, you know, that I'm not living that perfect life. That's cool, but where are you heading? You know, are we after Jesus? Or are we using ex- that excuse to just keep him here? Or do we even desire to, a deeper relationship with the Lord? Do we want to live for what's real? Or just float along in false security? Because that's what the devil would tell us. The third excuse that we often use and I've used this one, definitely, is that the excuse that keeps us back from revealing the kingdom of God to others because we think it's our responsibility for making others believe in Jesus, right? We feel like we got to force the gospel and tell them, and you must become a Christian, and like we feel like it's our responsibility. Maybe you've done that. You've, you've shared with somebody at work or with your family and nothing happened. They didn't seem to respond. They just kind of said, oh, that's cool. And that, you know, totally deflated you. And you're like, ah, well, it's, it's not worth it. I can't do it. I'm a failure. It's not going to work. Why even bother? And the response to this is easy. It's not our responsibility. Right? It's not. We were praying about this morning before church um, began. We were praying and, you know, just saying, like, it's God who causes the growth. And God who works in our hearts. It's not us. Uh, I have another verse for us to read. 1 Corinthians 3.7. So let's read this out loud together. So neither he who plants nor waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. God is the one who changes hearts. It is not our responsibility. He is the one who works. God might use us to plant a seed, right? Or encourage somebody. But ultimately, he's the one that is going to turn those things into an outcome, to change a heart. It's not our responsibility. And that's a freeing truth, that we are not responsible. We are asked and given the commission to, you know, plant seeds and water. But ultimately, we're allowing God to do the work. That We want God to do the growth in, in the, the lives of others. Because remember, all mission is God's mission. It's not our mission. It's God's mission that we get to participate in. See, we often use those three excuses. I've often used those three excuses to free myself up from having spiritual conversations with others or opening up about my spiritual life with others who even might ask, right? I can use those excuses. Oh, you should really, you know talk to a pastor, or, oh, you know, I'm just, you know, not feeling it right now or anything. But really, those excuses often come from that deeper place of fear in our lives. We all of a sudden think very temporarily and not eternally. We start thinking about, okay, what are they going to think of me? 
when I, you know, start talking about Jesus. Well, what are they going <laughs> to think of you when they find out about Jesus and then say, like, how come you never told me? As followers of Jesus, we are called to, by God to be his witnesses. We are witnesses of God's love in the world. We are witnesses to what is real. All else the world tries to sell us is smoke. It disappears, right? We are going to live, are we going to live for what's real, what matters? Or are we going to excuse ourselves? Because we're talking about eternal things, right? We're not talking about just right here and right now. We're talking about eternal things. That after the 80 years or so that we get to live, the what next after that? The fullness of life now as followers of Jesus and life with God after this earth. Are we thinking more temporarily or are we thinking eternally? You know, and, uh, you know, you hear statistics about millennials who don't save, you know, they don't save money for retirement or anything like that. I guess that's the big, you know, vice of our generation. But, so I guess that we have that problem financially as millennials. Like, we think too temporarily. Like, I need my avocado toast right now. I don't need, you know, to have a house or eat food when I'm after 65. Like, that's kind of how we think, I guess, somehow. But, you know, like, we're, all these articles on my newsfeed popping up, I don't know if they're like, you know, how Apple, like, reads your brain somehow, and they're like, you know, start saving, and like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, but, like, we need to have that perspective shift, that long-term understanding that, okay, yeah, we need, being awkward for a moment with somebody and telling them about Jesus is such a temporary thing. That's so, like, avocado toast thing. You know, but like when we're talking about eternal stuff, that's what's important. When we're talking about life with Jesus, you know, here and after, you know, we die, that's like so important. We need to have that long-term view. Because God offers abundant life. God offers purpose. God offers a hope that does not disappoint. Don't we want to live for that? Don't we want others to know that? Our motivation for mission is in the very character of God. He is a relational being and moving in the world to reconcile humanity with deity. He doesn't force it into people, neither should we. It's a loving invitation to relationship with him. See, our motivation is not only that people are going to hell, right? And remember, hell is... You know, as a kid, I just thought it was like a big fire and there's a red guy with a pitchfork and stuff like that. But hell is a place that's devoid of God. And God's presence is goodness. Like anything good in the world is of God. And so if you imagine a place devoid of goodness, that's what hell is like. And so our motivation is not just there, although that's true. Nor is our motivation just that God tells us to in the Bible, although that's true and that should be enough. But our motivation for mission is from the very character of God. God, remember, it's God's mission into the world. God in his purity and his perfection sent his perfect son into impurity and injustice to get us back. That sending. And that's where we find our motivation. Like God was sent his son into the world to redeem others. And that's, that should motivate us as we imitate Jesus 
to be like him and realize that we get to participate in God's reconciliation of humanity to himself. We are not trying to invite people to, you know, just Sundays to sing songs or hang out in the park every once in a while. But we are meant to live out our identity in front of others as those loved by God. Or as one author puts it, we are meant, we are meant to live out our identity as people rescued by God to be made truly human and fully ourselves. That's the invitation of God, to be fully human and truly ourselves. We are those loved by God to be a witness of God's love in a broken world that needs, God, that needs God's love. And just uh, as God sent his son, we are sent as well. And what's really powerful about Jesus' commission to his disciples is that these were his first words after he rose from the dead to his disciples and also his last words before he ascended to heaven. The passage that we started with in John, remember that was his first words to his disciples gathered together. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And earlier we read uh, Matthew 28, right? Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Those were Jesus' words right before he ascended. His first words to his disciples after his death and his last words. That tells us that it wasn't meant as just a suggestion, but it's a reminder of that we're commissioned to be light into a dark world. God has placed us uniquely in this world too. It's not meant to be just up to the pastors on Sundays because God has given you guys unique talents, unique gifts that not every pastor has and place you in unique contexts where you can be light in a dark place. We need artists and managers and servers and teachers and moms and engineers to be God's witnesses in, pla- in ways that make sense in those contexts. God is the God of creativity and he wants to show the world his redemption in the diversity of his creation. He wants to reveal his redemption in places like the arts and places like the sciences and engineering and parenting and teaching in all those different areas. Not just on Sunday mornings from a pastor. So, all mission is God's mission. We are invited to be a part of that. But the trouble is with talking about it from up here is that we just talk about it on Sundays. You know, a couple of you nod your heads like, yeah, that's good, okay, I understand that. But then Monday comes, and we forget about it. Or maybe we remember, but we don't do anything about it. The Bible tells us that don't let the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on it. Don't just be listeners of the word. Do what it says. Right? Because when Obed teaches on Sundays, it's not just meant to you know, sound cool and make us feel good on Sunday mornings is to teach us so we that live it out, you know, the Monday through Saturday in our lives. So what? So what do we do from here? We talk about mission. And as a church, if we're followers of Jesus, what does that mean for us in our workplaces, in our families, with our unbelieving friends? So here's my challenge then to all of us, and I'm definitely including myself in this is this week to have one spiritual interaction, and I use that word specifically, 
with someone who does not know Jesus. Have one spiritual interaction with somebody who does not know Jesus. And if you already do that, you already have one, then two or three. But I use the word interaction because it doesn't need to look like a sermon and probably shouldn't be a sermon, right? But it might be a time where you offer to pray for somebody right then and there. They're going through a hard time. They need prayer. Just ask if you can pray for them. What's the, the worst that happened? They say no, you know, and you're like, okay. Or offer a biblical truth to somebody who needs to hear truth, right? Encourage somebody biblically. Comfort somebody. Share a part of your testimony, what it means for you, or something that God did for you this week. But my challenge to each of us is that this week to have one spiritual encounter with someone who does not know Jesus. We need to pray for that. You know, in a little bit when we um, enter into the time of worship, we're going to have a time of reflection. And in that time, we should be praying that God would bring somebody across our path this week. And it doesn't have to be this crazy thing. I think we often think that we have to spend 10 minutes and explain so much to them. No, we just need to expose them to the person of Jesus. And sometimes that means just a simple, you know, prayer for them in the moment or a truth or something cool that God did for you this week. But we need to pray for it. We need to pray through it. You know, if that moment comes, we need to pray for the boldness to act on that moment. We need to pray through it. And then we need to pray afterwards for whoever that interaction was with. Because remember, it's God's mission. It's not us, right? So when we pray, we're asking God to work. We're asking him to bring us somebody. We're asking him to empower us to speak. And we're asking him to move in their hearts. It's not us. That's why it doesn't need to be so polished. It needs to be authentic. And from personal experience, I know that in order for that to happen, I got to have three things in my life. I got to have accountability. I got to have people who are saying like, hey, are you living out the gospel in your life? I got to have prayer. I got to pray for those things because if I don't ask Jesus, then I get all messed up in my head. I got to pray. And lastly, I got to be close with Jesus. If I'm ever going to share what Jesus has done in my life, then I got to have a real relationship with him. And real that week. Not like that moment that I decided to go to church and pray a couple years ago. No, it has to be real that week. So we got to be spending time with Jesus in his word and in prayer. And with those things, you'd be surprised to see how God moves in your life and the opportunities that he gives you and how natural it is. So it's really... And we're going to end here. What's really powerful about that verse that we read earlier is the words that come right after it. The promise that comes with that commission. We also see it in Matthew 28, right? We read that go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And then afterwards it says, and behold, I am with you always. God promises to be with us because so often we are weak, afraid, ashamed, tired, confused, hurt, feeling inadequate, nervous, or fearful in those moments. But God says, no, I'm with you. And John 20, 22, that's our last verse that we'll read out loud together. 
uh, says, let's read out loud. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. As followers of Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is our helper, John 14. Gives us power, Acts 1.8. Wisdom, 1 Corinthians. He gives us the words to say when we don't know what to say, Luke 12. He gives us hope, peace, faith, understanding. That's what we have. That's ours. So when those moments come and somebody says, oh, you go to church and you start fearing, you know, getting fearful, remember that God has given us the Holy Spirit to give us the power, the boldness, to give us the words to say. That's ours. We can live that out. And so as you go forth this week, let's be praying for that. Let's, let's all of us have one interaction with somebody where we are revealing our spiritual lives to them or sharing about Jesus or praying for them. Let's do that. Because at the end of the day, are we going to live for what really matters? Or are we going to excuse ourselves from sharing the God of creation with other people? Are we going to hide back and not share the reality that God loves people? God loves you. Because people need to know that they are loved and loved by God. And that's what being on mission is all about. It's about revealing the kingdom of God, revealing God's love, that loving invitation that God loves us and wants to redeem and reconcile us. And it's so cool that God has allowed us, his people, to be a part of that, right? He doesn't need us. God could just do it. But he says, you know what? There's joy when you come in and you, and you partner with me in this, in this mission. That's what it means to be fully human, to be fully ourselves when we're walking with Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you for your words. I thank you that, God, that you have given us, your followers, your Holy Spirit to empower us to give us the words to say, to give us wisdom, Lord, because I confess that, Lord, I so often don't know what to say. Or often, Lord, I feel so awkward or fearful, Lord. But I thank you, God, that you are sovereign. Lord, that you are at work. And God, your invitation to us, your church, is to partner with you in your mission in the world, Lord. So I pray, God, that you would help us to understand what it means to live on mission in a real and authentic way in each of our contexts, at our workplaces, with our family. Lord, show us what that means in our lives. Let it not just be words that we're saying here on Sunday, God, but I pray that the reality of our relationship with you would overflow to those around us, God. Lord, that you would be known as the God who loves, the God of creation, the God who made us. Lord, I need help. I need help, Lord, in that. God, I need help every day for that, Lord. So, Lord, we just come to you. We ask that you would move in our hearts. Lord, give us a passion for your name on this world. So we're going to move into a time of reflection. 
where we can think on these things. Not the words that I'm saying, but the words that God has been saying to us. And we can pray on them and pray how, what that means in our life. If you're here and a follower of Jesus, then start praying what that looks like for your workplace. If you're here and, you know, just kind of here to hear about Jesus and, you know, aren't yet a follower of him, then know that God loves you and God is after your heart. He loves you so much and he wants to reconcile you to himself. It is such a sweet invitation to live fully. So for the next few minutes, let's just dwell on those things. I want to invite you to stand to your feet.